1: Looking to build wealth beyond the stock market? Gain access to alternative investment opportunities once reserved for the ultra wealthy with Yield Street. Build a diversified portfolio with investments such as real estate, art, commercial finance, and other alternatives, typically with low stock market correlation and targeting annual yields of up to 15%. Yield Street investment minimums start at $1,000. Head to YieldStreet.com to join over 275,000 members and create your account today. The Madhouse
0: Chicago Hockey Podcast Over the line, or close it, he's in A backhand and a by Tony Esposito Stan McKee, was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days A right hand by Magnuson, and he wouldn't let that down Magnuson trying to tear his hair out NBC Chicago's James Navo. Odyssey Chicago hockey insider Jay Zawaski. No Hawks win! Hawks win again. Chris in overtime! Part of Blue Wire Podcast. off the boards. He shoots it going down to the teams. A game-winning goal! The Hawks live to fight another day. back, The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's gonna be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Sins-In-Law Group,
2: Let's Drop the Puck. Hello, hello, and good evening, friends. This is indeed the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5. With me, of course, as always, is the one the only Jay Zawoski of Odyssey of WBBM of the I'm Fat podcast and one of the few people on God's green earth who says that the best mac and cheese in the world is Spiral Craft mac and cheese. Jay, no one how you says doing, buddy? that.
1: No one on earth says that. That's not. <laughs> that's simply not true. You're spreading lies, and we were just getting started. How dare you, sir? On a sacred week, on Thanksgiving week. Yeah. Oh man. Well, the high holy week of fats, right? (laughs) Exactly right. Fat guy Christmas, we call it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thanks for jumping on to the Madhouse podcast. We've got a ton to get to. This will be sort of a hybrid post-game slash long-form Madhouse podcast. There's a ton to get to, man. Hawks lose 2-0 to San Jose at home. They add a late empty netter to seal the game. Uh, We're going to get into all of it and everything else happening in the Blackhawks universe. But before we do... Make sure you're following us on social media at Madhouse Pod, on Twitter, at Madhouse underscore pod, on Instagram, we're on Facebook Madhouse Hockey Pod. We have a T public shop, and there's a sale going on now through Tuesday, the 30th. So if you're looking for some Madhouse Podcast swag, now is the time to jump on. That link is in our bio. We've got shirts with our logos on it. We've got some other cool hockey themed things, uh themed things that I think you might enjoy. So check out the link in any of our social media bios for all that information. What else? I think that that covers everything we need to get to. So let's start, James, with tonight's game. Hawks lose 2-0. Uh they outshoot San Jose 29-22. And and I'm I'm not gonna speak for you, but I, I have issue, I have like a problem getting overly upset about the game. They played pretty well. I'm I'm more annoyed then upset and i think you know they played well enough to win and simply didn't and i think you have a there's a certain number of those games every year that happen and then you've probably got some that go the other way uh, like the recent vancouver game where you have no business winning it and you do but man frustrating especially with the tough stretch of games against some pretty good teams coming up here
2: yeah it's been kind of an interesting couple of games for the blackhawks they have been kind of going through some offensive issues recently. It was not something we saw a lot of when Derrick King first took over, uh, when they won the first four games in a row, when he was at the helm. They had seemed to kind of settle a little bit of the scoring issues, and then recently they've only scored uh, seven goals in their last five games in regulation. It has not been a uh, feast of offensive uh, excellence for the Blackhawks recently. Uh, Saw those struggles tonight. They were generating some pretty solid chances. I think I saw in the uh, natural stat trick uh, box score that they had 10 high-danger chances tonight. Definitely would say they had probably 7 or 8 at least uh, A-caliber uh, chances, and they just couldn't quite um, – score on those. And then when you and I were at the game on Friday, I felt like the last two periods of that game, I felt like they had kind of started to turn up the offensive intensity a little bit. I think some of the carryover from that game as well is that they played pretty solidly defensively tonight. They won the possession battle pretty handily against San Jose, but man, it's just kind of a bummer that, um, they had kind of shown those uh, strides forward on offense previously under Derek King, and lately they've been struggling a bit more, but at least we are starting to see a little bit better uh, defensive uh, prowess from the Blackhawks. I've been liking what I've seen from them in that area. But, yeah, just kind of a bummer to leave the United Center having given up the two points. It was definitely a game it felt like they could have and probably should have won. But, I mean, I guess it is what it is. I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it.
1: No, it's just, you know, when you start the season as poorly as they did, games like this hurt a little bit more. It's against a division rival. And if they do have any visions of being a playoff team, San Jose is one of the many teams They're going to have to jump over, so two points against them would have been great. But you mentioned their improved defensive play. For the second game in a row, the Hawks held their opponents to two third-period shots on goal. That happened in this game against San Jose and the game Friday afternoon against St. Louis. First period, the Hawks held the Sharks to only three shots on goal. So you're seeing the defense start to come around, start to play like we thought. Well, I don't know if we thought they'd play this well, <laughs> but right. you know, starting to play up to snuff, I guess you would say, but now it's up to the offense to catch up. And I think a big part of this is the power play just isn't clicking. And there's nothing, you know, we've been on this for a while now, and it was another, it reared its head again in this game. The opportunities to shoot that they pass up, it's become like an uh, I, hate, I almost use the word pandemic, but it's a, it's an epidemic where the Hawks have Kurashev was alone with Reimer and just passed across the crease. There are just so many opportunities are missing. You know they're passing up that could be shots on goal. And look, they had sixty two shot attempts in this game. That's a yeah. lot. You should be able to win a game when you have that. Reimer was great. Let's give him credit. But you know those nights where the offense isn't going, you need the power play to produce. It simply has not lately, and I don't really know where the answer is. You know, it's kind of, you're looking at a lot of guys on this team who are underperforming offensively. We've talked about Kirby Doc, Patrick Kane is even on a bit of a cold streak. Dominic Kubelik hasn't scored you know, since the aughts, it seems. Like, it's just, <laughs> the guys you're counting on to provide offense are not. And yeah, you've had some guys picking up the slack, like, Brandon Hagel's been hot. Even Jujar Kara has been picking things up. I think Henrik Borgstrom has had a couple nice games in a row. But your big money guys, you need to score. Kirby Doc has not scored in 15 games. Yeah. And that's with top-line minutes with top-line players.
2: Playing primarily with Alex Dabrinkit and Patrick Kane a lot of those games. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, you know, when your top scorers are not producing all simultaneously, it can't be on Dabrinkit and Hagel every night to provide the offense. They can't, they just, it, it's unfair. It's just an unfair expectation. You need these other guys. And look, we can't keep ignoring it. We're a quarter through the season now and Jonathan Taves hasn't scored. Yeah. And I think he's,
2: well, he, he did score the other night, but it got wiped out.
1: Right. But I mean that, and even that took like an assist from the goalie.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, good grief. Yeah. Put it right on his stick. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and I look, I think Taves is playing pretty well. I've got. I don't have any criticisms of his game, but at some point you got to convert. And maybe when the first one comes, you know, it'll it'll sort of open the floodgates a little bit. But the fact is, the guy makes ten and a half million dollars and has not scored a quarter through the season. This is the Hawks' $10.5
2: dollars more to score as many goals this season as I have.
1: Yeah, it's game twenty one, and he has not scored yet.
2: Yeah, how many uh, shots on goal does he have this season? I think he has like fifty. He has like fifty-one or something like that. It's he has a lot of shots this season and has not found the back of the net yet. Yeah, it, it is absolutely uh, wild that he's been kind of dealing with these prolonged struggles. And I wish I had some easy answers. I wish there was a way that the Blackhawks could kind of shuffle up their lines a little bit and maybe get some different looks out there. Derek King is definitely trying that. They are moving guys up and down this lineup and kind of mixing and matching dudes. It just doesn't seem like they're getting the... Type of sustained possessions that they need to get. They had quite a few uh, one-off chances early in the game on Friday against St. Louis is what I was noticing is they would kind of get down into the zone. They'd pass up a couple shot attempts and then get one crack at the net basically. Mm -hmm. I mean that's just been kind of the MO from this team recently has been just kind of trying to find that Perfect angle. And tonight I think they kind of got the volume up a little bit. It definitely is reflected in uh, the possession numbers from the game. But I'm just I'm looking at this roster right now. This roster that is at the NHL salary cap. It is not like the Blackhawks skimped on anything this season in terms of their payroll. They just apparently don't have the talent necessary to create offense when guys like Patrick Kane and then if, uh, God forbid, Alex Dobrynkit starts to slump. They just don't have the talent to overcome those types of slumps from key guys, and that's kind of worrisome when they're trying everything they can to kind of claw out of the basement of the Central Division, and I got to think, there is – Definitely a a deficiency in terms of offensive talent on this team, and I have absolutely no idea how they're going to be able to address that in season. It's not like they're going to be able to make a bunch of call-ups and make a bunch of trades. They don't have a ton of trade capital right now to begin with. It's just a really tough spot for them to be
1: in. Yeah, and I know there's people listening to this that probably have not heard the news. Uh, Lucas Reichel took a bad hit in Sunday's game, uh, got pushed up against – he was on his knees – Got his face smashed against the board, and you saw Ian Mitchell and the Rockford trainer taking him off the ice, and he was having a really hard time. As of the time we're recording this, there was no update. Uh, They should know more on Monday, but that option, which was sort of in the box hip pocket for a while, uh, that option is now apparently gone because that looked like he's going to miss at least a handful of games. That was pretty ugly, and to see the way he came off the ice. Uh, he was really struggling to get off the ice. Uh, and Adam
2: Gaudet is also no longer in the picture; it was claimed on waivers by the Ottawa Senators. So that's another kind of offensive uh, potential piece that you've now lost. Yes, and
1: and Dylan Strom appears to be in now in Derek King's doghouse. Can't get in the lineup either. Mm-hmm. And and look, I know we've been kind of like, well, what is Reese Johnson doing? I think over the last few games, he's been better. He's been a more uh, he's contributed more than we thought he had
2: had no shots on goal and lost all five of his face-offs today
1: a a bounce a a regression or maybe (laughs) a a return to the uh return to normal for Reese Johnson and look nothing against him man he plays hard he does what he's supposed to do uh but it's just like I mean if you're struggling to score I know the defense has been better and maybe give Johnson a little bit of credit for that but Give me eight mil- minutes of Dylan Strom over eight minutes of Reese Johnson. I think that that's going to help you out better, especially if you have fresh legs in the power play every time. He's decent at face-offs. I, I mean, it's. I you're right. The answers are not – like, there's no big trade the Hawks are going to make that are going to make them better here. The pieces yeah. you have that have value you want to keep and the ones you would want to trade don't really – aren't going to bring you anything that's immediately going to help. Like Dylan Strom – I think the Athletic wrote this week that if they're going to make a deal, they're going to have to probably retain some salary there, which isn't the end of the world. He makes $3 million, So it's not like, you know, if they got to eat half of it, big deal. But it's not like a Dylan Strom trade is going to bring you back something that's going to help today. And right. when you look at Rockford offensively, it was Reichel, it's Alex Nylander, and uh, <laughs> that's. Yeah. That's you're really basically about looking
2: it. at Nylander right now. That is your, that's kind of your lone option if you want to bring up another guy to potentially get some offensive pop into this lineup.
1: Yeah, and you've you just kind of kind of hope that the guys you've counted on and have paid. Let's be honest, like Kubalik, uh, start producing some goals. I think he Dude, had
2: he has ten shots on goal in his last seven games and has zero points.
1: That's crazy. I mean, he I thought he was better today, more noticeable. But you see, you can, I mean, we talk about guys squeezing the hell out of the stick. That is Kubalik, man. He is like yep. whiffing on stuff and missing the net. There's a chance where he had a chance at a breakaway, but just couldn't catch up with the puck. He just cannot catch a break. And it's its sort of as you go up and down this lineup, it's kind of the same story. If your name is not Dabrinkit or your name is not Hagel, you're struggling offensively right now.
2: Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder if there maybe needs to be some uh, systemic tweaks that need to happen. I think that another kind of area that the Blackhawks are at least a little bit deficient in outside of Seth Jones. They don't really seem to have a lot of guys that are able to kind of handle the puck at the blue line. I know everybody's going to come in here and be like, isn't that what Eric Gustafson is here for? And to that, I say, what's he done this season? Yeah, I mean, 20... That's kind of my counter on that, but that that seems like another deficiency of the Blackhawks is they don't really seem able to possess the puck and handle the puck and move it uh, from the blue line, and I think that is a big issue and I think it's also causing their forwards some trouble.
1: Well, and I think we got this question from a bunch of people on Twitter. That is why Gustafson is playing, because they don't really have any other offensive-minded defensemen. He played 20-35 in this game. He had seven shot attempts.
2: So much for Wyatt Kalnick and Caleb Jones coming back up and taking his roster spot. And I know that Riley Stillman is hurt, but still, that is not how I envisioned all of this happening.
1: Let's talk about Caleb Jones a little bit. I thought he played pretty well. There were a couple moments he almost sprung to Brinkett on a breakaway, uh, like a a long two-line pass from the defensive zone right up the middle, and it, it was just defended perfectly. And there was another time where he calmly skated the puck out of the defensive zone into the offensive zone. I like his game. I want to see him get more time. And I read today that him and Kalnick are probably going to split time. Mm. I think you choose, I like that. choose one of those two and play them. That's what I'm doing. Splitting time helps nobody. It really doesn't. Maybe they're going to say well, who's going to take the opportunity and grab it, right, and be the guy who wins the job. But I think you've got to give these guys three, four games in a row before you see like okay let's let them get them their rhythm you know let's let them find some chemistry with some partners i know Caleb played a lot with Seth during this yeah. game but he was kind of moving all over the place cuz Seth Jones is now the defensive version of Patrick Kane where he's double shifted all the time 29 minutes <laughs> yeah 29 minutes for Seth Jones so an off night for him <laughs> in terms of ice time it's just yeah. i don't know man like like you said the the answers Offensively, have to come from the roster yeah. as it is. And maybe you get a little bit of hope because it is Taves and it is Doc, a third overall pick. And Patrick Kane, we know, is going to, th- this slump will not last for him. He's going to start picking things up. And we've seen Kuryshev with some offensive potential and he's been a little bit better lately. And I really like the way Borgstrom has played the last few games now that he's gotten a handful of games in a row. I think this was his fourth game in a row, Pat Foley yep. said. Uh, he is starting. I think that's a good example. What we're talking about with Caleb is you see some consistency for a player and you they start to find it a little bit. And I, I thought Borgstrom, I, six high danger chances for with him on the ice and only one against. He was very noticeable in the last two games. Uh, so leave him in and let's see if they can get him going because they've, they've got to find somewhere for this offense to come.
2: Yeah, top Corsi forward on the uh, night tonight for the Blackhawks was Henrik Borgström, and I, I do agree with you. I feel like he's going to get an opportunity at some point, I think, to slide up this lineup. I think that... Uh, Getting a little bit of power play time tonight, I think that that's a number that needs to start to kind of go up for him. I would not be opposed to seeing a new face or two, I think, on the top power play unit. Maybe give him a whirl up there just to kind of see what he can do. I mean, he was the centerpiece of that Florida trade. I know that Our listeners are probably really sick and tired of us saying those (laughs) words, but they are still true. Sorry, that is the case. He was the centerpiece of that trade, so why not give him that opportunity in a more advantageous role to kind of shine? I think that the Blackhawks have very little to lose if they decide to kind of take that gamble and to take that chance, and I'm really hoping that they do it. And that's not to necessarily – Uh, knock the long-term prognosis of a Kubelik or a Taves in terms of them kind of getting out of their scoring funk, but you got to do something. I mean, you cannot have Jonathan Taves, he of the zero goals this season, playing on your top power play line anymore, I don't feel like. I think you need to focus his energy on playing even strength and shorthanded shifts. I think that he needs to come off the power play, at least for the time being, and I know that's kind of a confidence shaker, but at some point, We're 21 games into the season. We are a quarter of the way into the season, and that dude has not lit the lamp a single time that is counted. I I think you have to kind of get past worrying about his feelings and try to get some guys that are going to – uh, get into the mix and actually potentially put the puck in the net and I think Jonathan Taves is he's a veteran he gets it he's not producing if he's not out on the, po- the top power play unit for a game or two he's not going to think that it's the end of the world I think that Derek King needs to take a really hard look at making potentially some of those types of unpopular decisions and trying to maximize the roster that he has
1: here's the issue I have with that and I, I see where you're coming from with that but there two things come to mind first of all who the hell is going to win a face? off because if you're on the power play winning the faceoff is essential cuz you lose that face off you're co- you're chopping off 15 seconds right away right so you kind of have to have him out there to win the face off the other thing is i feel like the best chance to get the monkey off his back is for him to be on the power play right just put him well in the middle Well then make sure the he's ice. in front
2: of the goal i'm like yeah. sick of him being in that kind of like in the side role he's not going to score over there
1: yeah i th- i think you <laughs> Your best bet is to try to hit him with the puck and <laughs> have it go in. Like I, again, he's had some good looks. He's had some good scoring chances. They just haven't gone in. And I'm fine with the way he's playing. But I, I just, you're right. Like something has to change. But as they look up and down, like okay, I I give Borks more power play time. Fine, I agree with that. But like, uh, I don't know if he's going to be the answer either. And if you're if you're trying to... Yeah, well, you're never going to know unless you try it. I know. And I'm I'm still, for whatever reason, and it's stupid of me, I'm fully acknowledging this. The faceoff <laughs> thing was not stupid, by no, the way. No, no, no. was a very good point. No, I know. I'm, but what I'm saying is I'm stupidly thinking of this season as compete, and I don't know why... I mean the Hawks odds of making the playoffs are single digit percentages.
2: We are getting very close to that being a completely farcical belief.
1: Right. And unless Doc and Taves and Kurashev and somebody else start to catch fire offensively and Marc-André Fleury remains, you know, playing out of his mind as he has been for the last little bit here, I just I just don't know how it's going to happen, but I still have this mindset of Try to get some wins here. Try to get back in this thing, but I think maybe we need to start looking at "Mm, let's kind of evaluate what we've got and see if we can, in the short term, if we give some younger guys a look. You know, let's see if it makes a difference. And and I know I was hesitant to bring up Reichel, but had he not been hurt tonight, I would. It's time for me to say yes, bring up Reichel. But now that doesn't appear to be an option, so they're gonna have to figure out with what they have and it's it's just you just need all these cold streaks to end or at least two of them to end. <laughs> yeah. you know while while they figure this thing out. By the way, before we move on from this game, I want to point out I think that Jake McCabe has really started to show why the Hawks oh, yeah, paid has. him. His last two games especially have been really good. Uh you're seeing just the calm in his game, the confidence in his game, the physicality uh, I like everything Jay McCabe is doing. He's not going to be the guy who gets you out of your offensive problems, by the way, No, but that's not what he's here for. I just think that he's been terrific. Uh, so, yeah, the last few games, especially the last two, I really like McCabe's, uh, I like what he's been doing, and I think it's nice to see him turning it around and showing why the Hawks paid him, because that was a signing that kind of everyone loved, from yep. the you know fans to media to stats wonks to eye test people. Everyone seemed to really like the Jake McCabe signing, and now we're sort of seeing why.
2: There was some concern uh, coming off an injury, I think, with him. I think that was about the only uh, legit criticism that I had heard of the deal. I know that I was definitely in favor of it, especially with the amount of money that was spent. Yeah. Uh, definitely a sign that the Blackhawks wanted to go for it with the way they were bolstering their top four, uh, defensemen. And I think that out of the free agent signings and moves that they made this offseason, I think that that's the one that kind of has had the most success. It's been the best bang for the buck, I guess you would call it. I mean, we, we, we both have been, uh, praising Seth Jones recently. I think his game has also started to turn a corner and he's really been showing uh, the the second half worth of games. I guess you would call it like whatever that 10 or 11 game stretch. I think he took a little while to find his feet, but I think Seth Jones has been looking really good. I've really liked what uh, McCabe has done as well. I like that he brings kind of a physical edge to the proceedings. I like the way he kind of approaches the game. I see him make a lot of really smart moves defensively on the ice. I feel like he's not caught out of position a whole whole heck of a lot I think he doesn't get caught up trying to make big plays kind of like Seth Jones does on occasion and obviously you're going to take that from him if he can make those plays happen but I think McCabe is a really smart solid player who plays with a physical edge and I've been really kind of liking the Uh, stability that he's brought to the back end for the Blackhawks and I think it is part of the reason why they're starting to kind of show some more discipline and some more ability on the defensive side of things and I'm not going to draw a bunch of conclusions based on how they performed against the St. Louis Blues and the San Jose Sharks but I'm still going to say that I like what I've seen from them in that specific area, and that would be awesome if they could carry that forward. And I do think that Jake McCabe has played a really key part in that.
1: Yes, definitely. With some tough games coming up for the Hawks. They've got the Caps on Thursday. They've got the Rangers on Saturday. Sunday they're supposed to play the Islanders, but they're in complete COVID hell. So we'll see what happens with that game. But um, that's why these games against division rivals are so key. So They're going to have to pick up a uh, point here on the road against some pretty solid teams so we'll see what happens the madhouse chicago hockey podcast is brought to you by kent Simpson of the Sinson Law Group. after over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant could county state's attorney kent opened his own firm over 20 years ago specializing in all forms of personal injury cases including injuries as a result of accidents including cars trucks motorcycles bicycles boats planes and buses construction accidents nursing home abuse medical negligence and birth injuries, slip and fall cases and injuries as a result of hazardous drugs or products. Look, if someone's negligence has hurt you, Kent Sinsen is your man. His firm's results speak for themselves with millions recover for their clients. Sinsen Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. So call for a free consultation, 312-332-2107 or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. Don't go off sides, go top shelf. Call now. That's Sinson, S I N S O N Law Group All right, I think we pretty much talked ourselves to death on the San Jose game. Let's take a brief timeout. We come back. There is a lot of other Hawks news to get to. We're also going to answer some Twitter questions. I know we've been negligent on answering fan questions, so we're going to answer a few of those as well. Stick with us here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
2: Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, friends. We've been discussing the Blackhawks' play of late, the loss to the San Jose Sharks on Sunday, the win against the St. Louis Blues on Friday. By the way, as a podcast, when we attend games together, we are 1-0. That's So correct. Blackhawks, uh, just throwing that out there. You want to start winning some home games, bring us on board more often.
1: By the way, I want to shout out my buddy Samer Tadros uh, from Hanway Insurance who gave us those tickets So, so graciously, he's like, Hey man, you want Hawks tickets? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I, it was so awesome to be back in the building and it was good to be, uh, you met hockey hope. Um, hockey hope is different from not hockey hope. My wife, (laughs) as soon as she sees a blues Jersey, she becomes a demonic hell person. (laughs) and just wants to fight everybody. I'm like, can we not? we're tool old for this nonsense I'm going to throw I talked to back hope out. way
2: more often than I talk to you during that game that was fun
1: I'm very focused during games I'm just like uh oh, don't talk to me uh, I would uh,
2: I would co-host a hockey podcast <laughs> with that hope that's for damn. oh certain. my
1: god she's she is feisty as they come man and it was she you know she's been a little less invested in hockey over the you know as now she's a parent you know like you know the, a life yeah the priorities change a little bit but she's like oh man I'm back on my element I'm like oh boy here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like we're in a fight tonight. Here we go. No, uh, anyway, good. it was a great time at the game. Great to be back in the building. Man, I've not been to the UC in some time. The food there is top effing notch, dude. Mm-hmm. I got a margarita from uh, Little Goat with like smoked poblano. Oh, my God. It was awesome. Like for two bucks more than a beer. Hell, yes, I'm getting this. Yep. Oh, it was so good. And then, and then Jay ordered uh, seltzers, hard
2: seltzers to our seats, just in case anybody wants to know what he drinks. During I did. Weeks.
1: I wanted to get a, uh, I didn't want to, I knew I was going to, well, I ate poorly. I've been eating poor. I mean, it's Thanksgiving week. So I had to kind yeah. of take a carb break for a minute. So I had a, a Bud Light black cherry seltzer, but then I went and got a Marg. So I, I, I evened it out. Don't worry. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. A couple things we want to get to a little bit longer form here. Than we did in the first half of the show. I'm going to start with uh, Adam Goddet. As we spent a, a large portion of the first half of this podcast talking about where's the offense going to come from. Well, one of the options you had to provide some offense was just waived. It was just claimed by the Ottawa Senators. So Adam Godet, cross him off your list of options. He is no longer a Blackhawk. And I don't know what the deal is with him and how he just never got a sustained opportunity to play. Um, and I, am wondering if this is a question that will be asked, uh, now that he's gone and I don't know, maybe there's more to it than we know, but it seems like a guy who in his limited looks looked okay. Seems like a guy with some offensive upside who could, you know, he's got two points in eight games with the Hawks this year, nothing crazy, but he's 25 years old. I don't know. I, I I wanted to see more of him and I, I don't really understand why we didn't.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit odd. We've been seeing a lot of uh, the grinder type guys for the Blackhawks kind of playing uh, more outsized roles than we probably had anticipated that they would when the season began. I'm talking about your Jujar Karas and then when he's been healthy or uh, Tyler Johnson's, but I, I definitely did not get the sense that Godet really got as fair of a shake maybe as he could have he didn't play as much as i thought he was going to and when he did play it's not like he was playing uh top six minutes or getting any real significant uh time in situations where he could have produced offensively so it, it was a little bit odd how they handled him he maybe he didn't fit Derek king's eye whatever the case is But I am glad for his sake that he did get claimed by another team. I do feel like he deserves a shot to make an impact at the NHL level, it just, it really stinks because the Blackhawks don't exactly have a wealth of options if they want to bring in kind of a plug and play forward to potentially take on more of an offensive edge or role with this team. And losing Adam Gaudette in that way, I know that they probably don't really care considering that he wasn't cracking the lineup with regularity anyway, but it just, it feels like it was maybe a missed opportunity. And I'm hoping it's not going to turn into something where he ends up Blossoming somewhere else, and the Blackhawks just sit there and watch Reese Johnson and those guys just kind of pile up the minutes.
1: Yeah, I will say the Hawks have a history of, you know, when they let guys go, they don't really bloom elsewhere. I have noticed that.
2: Jeremy Morin's, your Richard Panix guys like that. Yeah,
1: Uh, Adam Clendenning Though I guess the one what people would argue Artemi Panarin, but he was already a stud. Before okay, the Hawks yeah. let him go. It's not like they gave up on him and he suddenly became great. If we're missing somebody, let us know. madhousepod at gmail.com. But yeah, I just I wish we got a, a more of a chance to see God. And look, I don't think he's going to be the difference between the Hawks being good and bad. But Hell no, 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 no. I just, I'd rather see him a thousand times over Hardman or Reese Johnson. I just I just think those guys are redundant, man. I, Kara is not in that category for me, by the way. I think Kara has been really effective in his role. And I, that, I just
2: feel like they've I they feel like they've tried to kind of bump him up the lineup in a similar way like they've done with Brandon Hagel. And I'm just not they they haven't been doing that the last couple of games. He's been very solidly entrenched in that bottom six role, and I've really liked that. I just I don't want to see him up like playing with Jonathan Taves, for example. That's not where I want to see him.
1: Yeah. Four shots on goal against San Jose, another shot attempt. Uh, and four hits i i, I just think that, that like that's what you paid that guy to do and he's doing it so when I, we're talking about these bottom of the line guys i don't think he's included on that list at least for me oh
2: yeah i'm not healthy scratching him for an offensive guy that is for certain
1: right so anyway that option's gone so let's i'm gonna f- literally cross him off Okay, that one's gone. Now fun
2: story. Jay actually has a giant post-it note on his <laughs> wall and he X he just X'ed off Adam Goddat's name like he'd been eliminated from Survivor or something. Uh,
1: I actually you should see what I'm writing it's the this is the Kent Simpson script that I have, and I have notes just from so many different podcasts where I just jot stuff down real quick. It's I don't even know what they mean anymore. Like
2: here's <laughs> it's not s- even English. It's like some weird shorthand that no one. <laughs> well, here's, read.
1: here's a set list for an old, um, give me country radio show. I don't even do those anymore. Uh, it, notes on the Blackhawks lawsuit. Um, uh, remember when Steve Kornacki gave the Blackhawks playoff odds last year, I've got that written on here. I've got all yep. kinds of stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a mess, but all right, let's move on to the next thing we want to get to in depth. We mentioned Eric Gustafson and the fact that he's playing to provide offense, Eric Gustafson, and we're going to play a game as you sit in your car or you're on the train or whatever. How many power play points does Eric Gustafson have on the season? We're going to give you a second, and then you let us know. Okay, here, we're going to wait.
2: Lock in your answer, honk your horn when you do, that kind of thing.
1: Yep, he's got five points on the year total, by the way. So if that helps, all right, we'll give you five more seconds. Four, mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. two, one. Okay, Eric Gustafson has one power play point. Juan, Juan, <laughs> like how? <laughs> How's <is> that possible? <laughs> I mean, it, that's what he's here to do—is to be the guy on your power play that's going to make a difference. And look, he was on this team when the power play was actually producing. He's just not producing the offense that we thought he would. But again, we get back to the the question of who else is going to do it. And yeah. I, I just, like, we all assumed when Caleb Jones got healthy and Wyatt Kelnick got healthy, we'd all wave goodbye to Eric Gustafson. But I think they're hanging on to this. Let's try to get back in this thing. Because I think as soon as they acknowledge, okay, it's time to play these kids, the conversation about Flurry starts right away, right? The conversation about DeHaan probably starts right away. Like there's a lot of names that all of a sudden start to become available in a trade. And I don't know. I think Marc-Andre Fleury would probably accept a, a trade to one place, right? Probably Pittsburgh if they wanted him. I'm guessing so. And, and maybe he finishes off the season here. Who knows? But as soon as you draw that line in the sand of, okay, we're no longer trying to win, right? We're, we're going to try to develop some kids. And then you talk about Ian Mitchell coming back up and all those sort of things. I just don't think you're ready to do that yet. And and I think the mystery that we all have to figure out is how does Kyle Davidson operate, right? Like, what is his mindset right now? Is he trying to hang on and get the most out of this team that he thinks he can? Is he just trying to see who's got what and then kind of sift through everything? I, I don't know the answer to that question. And I know he's spoken a couple times, but now that we're, a, you know, what, probably, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 games into his tenure as GM, maybe it's time to have like a reevaluation meeting with him and just say, okay, like, here we are. This is the reality, a quarter way through the season. Uh, what do you think? What are we looking at here? And and I'd love to pick his brain about what is the future of this year, the 2021-22 Blackhawks, because as well as they're playing lately, they're just not producing the results they need to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I did want to point out, by the way, that the player who has as many power play points as Eric Gustafson is Ian Mitchell, who played a whopping three games with the Blackhawks and had an assist and, by the way, has points in each of his last three games with the Rockford Ice Hogs. So if you want to bring in a guy who's going to kind of produce a similar game to Eric Gustafson but actually have some upside you could potentially tap, maybe Ian Mitchell's that guy.
1: He might be. And I, I like I like him. I have not given up on him as a prospect. I know we came in last year with high expectations. And made us all very sad. Well, I mean, it was a tough it was a tough thing that, yeah, to Yeah, It was honestly. I, I, I was
2: being a little flippant, but you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, but but I don't think we should look at him as less of a prospect than we did, it's just because last year didn't go as well as we hoped.
2: Oh, I look at him as less of a person because last year we didn't. go.
1: No, I'm kidding. Well, you're a cruel, that's... cruel bastard.
2: Well, I thought that's what you. I honestly thought that's what you were going to say for
1: some reason. I think of him <laughs> so as I was less. Like, yep, I'm going there. He's less than human because he's. <laughs> <What the hell? laughs> He has not excelled at hockey in the way I (laughs) deemed appropriate.
2: Oh, man, we are... Now we're both terrible people. How does that feel?
1: Uh, it feels bad. I'm gonna be honest. It feels bad. <laughs> it does not feel great.
2: I I really hope no one from the Blackhawks is listening to that and like, uh, just cutting that particular parts and then they're gonna be like, hey, look, listen to what these guys said about you, Ian. Yeah. And then he's gonna like show up at our house and like cross check us in the face or something.
1: Yeah, we'll just like skate past him.
2: Oh. Oh. Jeez. Cheap shots. Wow. Cheap shot.
1: I don't even mean that. I didn't mean that at all. I was just making you know, it
2: they joke. go low, we go low. That's how I <laughs> we see. go. We go lower.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. There's one more thing I want to get to here uh, before we get to some questions. Um, did you see the thing in The Athletic evaluating the future of Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane? You didn't even have to really read it, but did you see it?
2: I saw it. I didn't read it. So
1: I just was thinking they're kind of, you know, Mark and Scott are going through like, oh, what could happen next? Could it be a trade? Could it be a – here? Just here's my question to you. Does Jonathan Taves sign another NHL contract? Or does he just walk away from the game when his deal expires?
2: I mean, I think that – I think I would – normally I would say that Jonathan Taves is – in it for the long haul. He is a grinder. He loves the sport of hockey. He loves playing it, loves being part of this team, and I think that he would want to stay with that. But after all that he's been through the last couple of years and after the struggles that he's been dealing with on the ice this season in terms of uh, scoring goals, I'm not not convinced that he will sign another contract. I think that if you were going to put odds on it, I'd say the odds would probably – favor him sticking around. The big question I would have then is do the Blackhawks pay him, offer to pay him, and how much would they offer to pay him? I think that there's no possible way that he's going to get the same contract that Patrick Kane would get if they re-signed Patrick Kane. So there's not going to be any of that matching deals thing that they've done the last two times they've been approaching free agency. But I think maybe – uh, they try to re-sign him to like a one-year deal or something like that. But at this point, that's about the best he's probably going to get. I highly doubt that a team's going to shell out a multi-year contract for this uh, version of Jonathan Taves right now. Let me
1: ask you this. So he's got this year and next year $10.5 million left. Alex Debrinkit's $6.4 million deal expires at the same time. Yep. Would you flip their contracts, pay Debrinkit Taves money, and then give Taves like six to play for a year, year and a half or a year or two years. Six, six point four is a lot, man. I, I don't
2: that is a ton. For I Jonathan just Taves don't right
1: think now. he's that player anymore.
2: No, I'm, I don't I'm either
1: thinking four, maybe five. Like you've got to pay him a little bit. And I'm, I'm breathing. Well, a sigh if I'm of
2: saying re- J- if I'm saying Patrick Kane's going to get like a potentially a Joe Pavelski deal, which, by the way, I think he's probably going to get paid more than that. I think that was kind of like the that might be the low end of what he ends up potentially commanding if he keeps uh scoring at a point per game clip even at the age of uh thirty three. Mm-hmm. I, I think that if he can keep that up, he's probably gonna get paid more, but no way, man. I'm not I'm not giving Jonathan Taves six and a half million dollars a season. No. It, there's just no way.
1: I can't either. And and by the way, for the record, Pavelski, uh, in the last year of a seven million dollar deal.
2: Right, so I I think Kane's gonna make more than that, and I I'm not as convinced that he'll get longer term than maybe three years, maybe four, but he's he's gonna get a little bit, I think, of a pay cut for sure from the Blackhawks. Yeah,
1: I you have to. I mean, it, it's irresponsible fiscally to pay them. More than they're worth, and
2: well yeah, because then you're paying them for past performance and not future performance, right? And, and Sam
1: Bowman resigned, so I, we don't have to worry about that anymore. And right? when you
2: and when you're in a situation like the Blackhawks are going to be in, where they have Seth Jones on the cap for nine and a half million dollars, and you're conceivably going to have Alex Debrinkit on the cap for ten or more, you absolutely cannot afford to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I just there's part of me I think you're right. Like the odds would say he will probably sign another contract somewhere. Probably in Chicago, but part of me is like, you know, my health, the concussions, I've made a crap ton of money. My game is not where I want it to be. Maybe it's time to start the next phase of my career if I'm Jonathan Taves, right? Because you know he's going to get a front office gig or a coaching gig immediately. So Someone...
2: imagine him trying to be a broadcaster.
1: No, I don't see that. <laughs> Nothing against him. I just, I just don't think it interests him. I think he's too competitive, and I think he would definitely want to be like on the Steve Iserman, Joe Sakic fast track Ooh, to the front office. That would be
2: cool, man.
1: And I, there's nothing that I, I think he could do it. I really do. I don't. There's nothing to, about him that I'm like. He's a, he's a highly intelligent dude. Uh, I, as far as I can tell, you know, just based on what I've seen from him in his time here, I just. I think that that's next for him, but I, I, well, I think that's next for him regardless, whether or not it's after 2022, 23 or beyond that remains to be seen, but I don't know. There's part of me. They could just see him walking away at 35 and saying, eh, I've, what what else do I have to accomplish? Why play two more years and tie up cap salary for the Hawks who are clearly not contending at this point, right? I don't know. I, I, maybe I bet the Hawks would hire him right away into some front office role. Give him sure. the give him the Al McIsaac thing like you're the assistant to the GM, your special advisor, whatever. And you're you're a hawk for life in whatever capacity you want to be. And I, I think for Jonathan Dave, that could be really, really tempting.
2: I I would be inclined to agree with that for sure.
1: OK, one more thing I want to get to before we get to our Twitter questions. Um, Today was the hockey fights cancer day for the Hawks and they had Troy Murray dropped the ceremonial uh, puck in the game today. And I want to say that that was uh, very special for me. Um, Troy and I have a relationship. I produced Hawks games on the radio for years uh, as his producer, and he's always been friendly. He's always been great to me. But something I've not talked about uh, publicly this year is that my mom just went through um, a couple months of chemo, um, and she is going to begin radiation next week. And it's something that I've not really discussed at all publicly because my mom is an extremely private person. Um, But just kind of seeing someone I'm that close to, obviously no one I'm closer to than my mom. Um, The hockey night, you know, hockey fights cancer night was especially meaningful for me this year with, with that. And with, with Troy, a guy I know and a guy I respect, one of my first favorite Blackhawks and a guy who I got to become friendly with uh, over the years. And to show him Watching the video tribute to himself was something to take in, man. Like that was that was really heavy. And uh Troy is Troy's going through a battle. Like him and I have talked a little bit, uh, you know, off off air, of course, and what he's handling and what he's dealing with is not easy. And to see him uh with his spirits up, looking good, looking healthy is super encouraging. So I know he's probably not listening, but in case he is Troy. Uh, I'm thinking about you. He always checks in with me and asks first thing he does is say, how's your mom doing? Which is just incredible. Like Troy Murray gives a crap about my mom's cancer journey, right? Like that, that should tell you all you need to know about the kind of guy Troy Murray is. And when you hear, you know, Pat Foley and Eddie Olch, I kind of struggle to get through the broadcast after that moment uh, tells you all you need to know everything people say about Troy is true. Uh, in the best way. And in that, remember, he did not kill you that one time, James. No,
2: he did not. I, I owe him big time for that. And I was going to bring that up that I will always be deeply grateful that he didn't uh, slash at my Achilles tendon after I publicly disagreed with him about some topic I don't even remember. I don't anymore. remember either.
1: It was funny, um, though.
2: Yeah, it was hilarious. God, that was hilarious. That was one of my definitely one of my highlights of doing this show. And um. I, I kept hearing it on the broadcast that everybody is in Troy's corner and rightfully so he's an awesome dude when he's not threatening to hurt me and um, wish him nothing but the best. The tribute that Edzo paid to him was really emotional, really uh, kind of got me tearing up a little bit. It was really great to see that level of support and that level of love from somebody who's been through what Troy is going through. And it is a, hellacious and really hard journey and it meant a lot to see Edzo pay tribute to him in that way and just like everybody on that broadcast said that they were in Troy's corner um you all you know that we're all pulling for you and for your mom Jay and we're you know hoping that everything continues to uh go well for her and uh yeah (laughs) love love the entire uh Zawaski family there's nothing really else I can say other than you guys are all really uh, you're strong fighters and it's going to be, it's going to be great, man. It'll be fine.
1: I, I hope promise. so. So far so yep. good. She is uh, you know, finished her chemo and she's cancer free. So on Tuesday we find out, you know, what the next steps are, but I think this is Keep the kick ass. Yeah. Like, you know, during chemo, it was actually a little bit easier than I think she expected in terms of her like day to day pain and, and fatigue and all that stuff. But now that it's been over for a while, it's really hitting her hard and she's really mm-hmm. and struggling with it, and her memory, like I guess chemo brain, is a real thing, and she's struggling with her memory, and she's getting frustrated with that. So um, I'm just hoping that whatever's next for her is as easy as it was early on here, and she can get on with her life because she's been a obviously an incredible mom, and uh, you know, yeah. uh, I know she'd be really pissed for me telling this, but she's not going to listen. Um, but <laughs> I I just wanted to share because I, you know, we share a personal life on this podcast, sure. Now and again and tonight was really an emotional day for me. So Yeah. We're we're all in
2: your corner, buddy, and we're all uh praying for your mom too. Thank you.
1: All right, let's talk about some chicken before we answer these questions. Jalen you know, Fry the Coop, fry the Go get some Nashville hot chicken. You deserve it. You really do. You you've you've taken a break after Thanksgiving. You're eating some salads, some fruits and vegetables, you're you're making up for it. Go treat yourselves to some Nashville hot chicken. Go to frythecoop.com or visit any of their locations oaklawn elmhurst west town prospect heights and tinley park it's just the best man i love fry the coop i tell you guys every episode and i'm not lying to you it is the best nashville hot chicken i've ever had and i've had them all they've got beer they've got donut chicken sandwiches they've got the tenders if you like it hot they will melt your face off if you're not into hot food at all you can order the country style which has no heat whatsoever and they'll just be the best damn chicken tenders you've ever had you can't go wrong at Fry the Coop, so pay them a visit. Frythecoop.com. Again, Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. All right, let's go to the old Twitter machine. Got a question here from Cameron. He says, where is Tyler Johnson? <laughs>
2: <laughs> James, your thoughts? <laughs> um, Well, we didn't see him at the United Center on Friday, so I don't know.
1: Yeah. He's got the COVID thing, and he's got the neck thing going on, and uh, that was one of those guys, if if we're talking about where's the offensive help going to come from, theoretically, Tyler Johnson would be one of the people on that list, but it's just like, "Mm, he'll be back when he's back kind of a thing, and that's how it feels, and it doesn't feel necessarily close. We won't get an answer on Monday because they are not practicing on Monday. So who knows? Yeah, they've got a
2: couple of days off here, so it's probably going to be a little bit uh, mum on that. Front. Yeah,
1: but that's a guy who you could look at is contributing on the power play, adding some offense uh, where it's desperately, desperately needed. So the sooner, the better uh, for Tyler Johnson returning. Got a question here from Charlie. Charlie, the bacon guy, of course. Uh, by the way, if you want some uh, some craft bacon, email Charlie. Charlie, the bacon guy at gmail.com. He's a sponsor of the I'm Fat podcast, and I'm telling you all. This is some of the best bacon you'll ever have. I should have
2: gotten that chorizo bacon. I'm so mad.
1: Oh, I you still you still can. You still can get the chorizo bacon, the jalapeno garlic. There's all kinds. So email CharlieTheBaconGuy at gmail.com or listen to the AmFat Podcast for all the details there. He asked, what was it like being back in the building post COVID and post Kyle Beach situation?
2: I had already been back in the building after the Kyle Beach situation, and that this was fairly shortly after it all had uh, broken publicly that he was uh, John Doe one in the lawsuit. And I will say that that game, there was a palpable, I I don't want to call it, it wasn't tension. It was basically disinterest. There was a lot of anger. I think part of it was based on that. It just was kind of a somber occasion, but it was also still kind of the height of the Jeremy and sucks. We need to get rid of him part of the season and so there was a lot of kind of anger and frustration going on I think on multiple fronts that evening I think Friday was way more energetic I felt like probably playing the blues was probably something to do with that but I think in terms of an arena atmosphere perspective I think that it was um more like a much more like a normal Blackhawks game than it was in the immediate aftermath of the Kyle Beach revelations. And then as for me, I think I was still kind of in that same state where, you know, I'm excited to be at a hockey game. I'm rooting for the Blackhawks, obviously, but there's still just that little bit of uh, hesitation. But I think that just as time has gone on, I've kind of made peace with the fact that the people who were responsible for kind of overseeing the lack of follow through on that are gone. And I think that I'm start, I'm slowly starting to, Kind of, I don't want to say put it in the rearview mirror because that's not what's happening. I just think that I'm able more and more to kind of divorce how I feel about that situation and about the current team that's on the ice.
1: Yeah, in terms of the Kyle Beach thing, I'll agree with that. The fans were pretty uh, excited. It didn't seem to be much of a thought during the course of that game. Um, Being in the building was definitely strange so I went to see the dead at Wrigley like at the end of the summer and that was my first like big like it's not post-COVID by the way it's still raging Uh, yeah Uh, but you know what I mean it was my first like event during COVID that I went to that was huge but that was outside and it so this is my first indoor like really big event and in the concourses I was a little bit like uh, like I was fighting it a little bit. Like I felt a little bit uncomfortable, but I knew that everybody that entered had to show their vax card or their negative test. And they actually did check. Yes, like they did. you, you had to show it. And it was funny. The guy who was working at the door, we, we went in gate six and the couple in front of us showed their negative test. He's like, great, go get vaccinated. He like yelled at the people to get vaccinated, which I thought was pretty. I was like, Oh, there's going to be an incident, but they're like, yeah, yeah. You know, they kind of blew them off. But uh, so that made it feel a little bit better. And then because of my friend Sam, or we were in the club level, which is a lot more, not as many people, the concourses are not as full. So it just felt, I felt okay once the game started, but getting in there and like navigating the concourses on the 100 level was a little bit itchy for me, but at the end of the day, I, I felt okay. And, and so did hope. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good to be back in the building. I, the land acknowledgement, I really liked. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job with it. Um, you know, we know what the eventual answer will be, but that's not happening right now. Um, but I think the land acknowledgement they did was good and worthwhile, and I'm glad Also they got a
2: very positive reception
1: from yeah. the crowd,
2: which I appreciate. Definitely,
1: definitely a cool response. And I love they take the ice to the four horsemen. That was yep. cool. I was like, hell yes. I'm like, this
2: is old this is music. They, I'm turning they to my dad. Back the orchard, too, even better.
1: Yes, I turned to my dad when old-time rock and roll comes on. <laughs> my dad's like this is music you don't know what the hell you're listening to i go dad i listen to the same what are you talking about he, your he, dad just gets <laughs>
2: pointlessly rage filled mad
1: when he gets mad because he loves old-time rock and roll so much he gets mad that every other song is not old-time rock and roll i go dad i'm in your car i listen to your music i'm singing along with most of the songs that are on in your car Rah, you kids i'm like i'm 43 <laughs> what are you talking about you kids <laughs> yell at eddie My my
2: dad does not pull the you rotten kids card. So I don't have to worry about
1: that. (laughs) This is funny. This is one music with music. Okay, dad. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Got another question here. This one's from Tyler. He says with Montreal cleaning house and putting Gorton in as president of hockey ops, do you think the Hawks should go the same route or just stick with searching for a new GM? My thought is they should be moving quicker than they are with this decision. Uh, I do think they should go hockey ops, then GM, Here's what I'll say about the Hawks, and this is just my gut, not from anything I know. Just want to be clear. I th- the Hawks just dropped this crap like with no warning. <laughs> like uh, there, there's part of me, it's like, oh, they're gonna wait till the off season. and there's part of me that could be like, oh, December fifteenth, they're gonna announce an entire re- like organizational restructure. That that yeah. would not surprise me. I wouldn't bet on it, but these sort of things can happen at any moment. And I do think that that is the way they will go. It's, I mean, it's what they did with Bowman, and you know, I mean, Bowman kind of did everything. I don't know. I is think it's they-
2: not trending towards Edzo leaving the broadcast booth and becoming president of Hockey Ops at the end of the season. If I'm
1: putting money on it, that's what I'm betting. Yes.
2: I mean, come on, that's. With all of the guys that they've rotated in to sit in for both Pat Foley and Eddie Olchek, it is not out of the realm of possibility that that is exactly what they would be planning on doing. And Eddie O. wants to honor his uh, contract and call the playoffs and do all that stuff that he's contractually obligated to do for that first season on the new TV networks. I just – I – That's easily what I could see happening the instant that the regular season ends. And they say after the playoffs, Edzo's going to be our full-time president of Hockey Ops.
1: Yeah. Boy, I got to say, though, man, hearing Pat and Eddie back in the booth was like, yeah, Yeah. this is is an A-team. This is what an A-team sounds. And I like a lot of the guys they've tried. Like, I really like Steven Nelson. I thought he did a great job. But when it's Pat and Eddie, it's just different. It just feels different. And, like, the stuff with Troy was so much more heartfelt because of their relationship with him. Uh, it was it was something, man. It was really something. Yeah, Edzo to would
2: not have missed that for the world, dude.
1: I uh, got a comment here from Sean. He says, not a question, but I think it's pretty telling that no one in the league wants Strom at $3 million. At this point, it's pretty clear the guy's a bust, and that might sound harsh, but Dylan Strom was what? The number three overall pick? Yeah, he was third overall in 2015 hmm he's got to be better than that so i think like i don't know i think bust is harsh because bust is like this guy did nothing but i think he's nowhere near the player that people thought he was going to be
2: please explain how he's not a bust
1: because he's still a decent nhl player
2: a decent nhl player that can't crack this lineup and couldn't crack the lineup last season. I'm starting to wonder. Oh, I should. Oh, I should say this and get everybody riled up. Oh, is this like a Taylor Swift thing? Is it uh, this? Every blaming everybody else, but in reality, you're the problem. Since now it's been happening under both Jeremy Colleton
1: and Derek King. That was James Naveau who took a shot at Taylor <laughs> Swift. He can be reached at uh, James Niveau at. No, I'm not going to put your email out there, but uh, I. Oh wouldn't. no!
2: Yeah, just. Just tweet. Just know that I'm. That was tongue in cheek. Uh-huh. I don't really have any. I don't have any strong opinions. Sure. About Taylor Swift, I will say that
1: sounded like a pretty strong opinion, man. It,
2: no, trust me, it was not. <laughs> I'm just saying that Dylan Strome. I there is a reason he wasn't cracking the lineup last season when the Blackhawks could barely keep warm bodies on the ice. There was there's an issue that he can't crack the lineup now that they can't score goals. It, clearly not working out here maybe he figures it out somewhere else but it just after he hit those kind of highs that point per game pace with the Blackhawks his first season here yep just hasn't hasn't been worth the trouble man and I maybe bust is just a skosh harsh it's quickly becoming not so harsh though
1: yeah I mean, it's it's tough, and you know, you saw like, oh, it's such good news for Dylan Strom and Derek Kings here, and they're talking and laughing before the game. And it took what a couple of weeks for for him to be a healthy scratch again. We
2: are laughing. Yeah.
1: All right, let's get a couple more in before we wrap things up here. Got one from Dan. He says, when you care, when you compare this team versus the best, what is it lacking? Skill, speed, physicality. Um, I'm. I think their biggest. What they lack the most is speed. They don't have a lot of really speedy skaters. When you watch like Colorado play, (laughs) it's like they've got Jets on the back of their skates. Uh huh. You know, the Hawks are just not a fast team.
2: Dude, I watched the Flames and the Jets last night, and that was like 20 minutes of just high octane hockey to end that game. Something I don't think the Blackhawks are capable of.
1: I also think they are built of extremely streaky scorers mm-hmm taves and kubalik doc is streaky uh, well, to be a
2: streaky scorer, you actually have to score so jonathan good point. taves where are you at bro
1: good point but even like throughout his career he's been yeah. he'll go five games without the goal then have like you know five and in, in three games or whatever it is mm-hmm. and you know so and that that's and patrick sharp was that way too by the way oh totally but they just yeah, had yeah, yeah. enough of those dudes you know, it was sharp, it was Hose, it was Taves, it was Kane. It was it'd go on and on and on. So when one guy got cold, somebody else would pick up the slack. They just don't have the depth offensively. Mm. So that, to me, I, is the biggest issue.
2: I was laughing at the irony of this, by the way, because back in 2017, Stan Bowman made this whole dog and pony show about how the Blackhawks were going to try to get faster, and he drafted Henry Yokoharu, and he made all these moves with the you know goal of them getting faster and then promptly – Reverse course on every single thing that he had said, and ultimately ended up getting guys like, you know, Nikita Zadorov, etc. So he ba- he completely neglected the speed part of the game after swearing up and down that he was going to make that happen. So, yeah, 100% agree with you on the uh, lack of speed front there.
1: Uh, this leads us nicely to our final question. This one's from JC Lowe on Twitter. What kind of moves or different direction might the new regime attempt? in the post Bowman era that could help improve the team for a playoff push.
2: You mean for a playoff push this year?
1: Uh yes.
2: What on earth could they possibly do this year?
1: Yeah, because anything you're going to trade for an a- Here here's the one thing maybe they could do. If they traded Fleury for a, an NHL body or two, and went with Lankinen and Suban slash Delia the rest of the way, maybe. But still, like that's that's not making your team better. I'd have to see who they're getting back. But if you're looking to bring back any sort of assets that can help now, it's basically going to be flurry. Yeah, That's the one piece they could move that could bring them back some value. But I think he's going to have the most value at the deadline. And by the deadline, they're going to be too far out of it.
2: Sure. So, it's, so it's not going to matter. Yeah.
1: I think what this new regime needs to do is focus on the next era of Blackhawks hockey.
2: Which they already have a couple of really serious issues to contend with, including the impact that the Seth Jones contract is going to have on their future moves and the fact they're going to have to re-sign Alex DeBrincat after the 2022-23 season and then decide what they want to do with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. There are going to be a lot of decisions that they're... Oh, and by the way... Kirby Doc gets restricted free agency for the first time at the end of this season, too. So Well,
1: and if 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 Kirby Doc is the next Dylan Strom, uh, the next era is toast.
2: Yeah. Unless they totally. somehow
1: get I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility they have a lottery pick this year. But you need I have to get a number one or a two. You need Kirby Doc to be a star. Yep. And I still think he's gonna be good. I just don't see like superstar perennial all star potential I mean, in him we, yet.
2: We talked about that. On Friday, when we were at the game, we what what did we keep noticing about Kirby Doc? Yeah, every time he had an opportunity to win a puck battle, settle a puck that was bouncing a little bit, uh, getting up the ice quickly to help out on a rush, he wasn't doing any of those things
1: right. and And look, you like when Taves and Kane jumped on the scene, and we know that's an extreme example, but those are the kind of players you need to have that next generation of cup winners, right? You knew when Taves and Kane hit the ice, like, oh, my God, these guys are different. Like, this is something we have not seen before. This is generational talent. We've got two of them, not to mention Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook are here already. And, yep. oh, yeah, now we're going to sign Marion Hosa. I don't even to is is a really, really good player. I would say he's a great player, but he's not like, franchise altering he's I think he's a notch below that right Is like
2: he, he's a better version of Dominic Kubelik basically oh I
1: think he's way better than that
2: well you know what I mean though yeah. like on his top end Dominic Kubelik's probably like a 25 30 goal scorer I think Dabrink gets better than that I think he's like a 35 40 goal scorer I think
1: Dabrink will hit 50 at some point in his career I think it that will, wouldn't shock me I think it will happen but he's I only
2: 23 that would not yeah. shock me whatsoever but I just
1: don't think he's I don't know. I just don't think he's like that transcendent. And I wonder how he would be without, like as the number one guy, is he enough? I don't know. And that's why Doc's development is so important.
2: So, so important. Yeah.
1: So without without Doc becoming a star, that's really going to stunt any sort of next generation thing short of a very lucky lottery pick landing in the Hawks lap, which could happen. Should, because... they, have traded,
2: should they have traded Kirby Doc for Seth Jones? Oh, boy
1: no it's too soon to give up on him i agree because i'd still i today would you trade doc for boquist no I w- no i wouldn't do that either so no anyway that was a long podcast but thanks for sticking with us it's been a while since we've been able to do like a long form stretch the leg sort of a thing so we appreciate you tuning in make sure you rate subscribe review the podcast so things are very helpful those apple five star reviews are like gold to podcasters so if you want to help us out in any way shape or form that's the easiest way. And hey, send us a screenshot of your five-star Apple podcast review to madhousepod at gmail.com and we will pick a winner or two every month for a Madhouse Podcast prize pack. So do that. It helps us out a lot. It's free. It just takes, you know, 25, 30 seconds of your time and it really, really helps us out. We've got the T Public Sale going on through Tuesday, all that good stuff. So uh, make sure you're following us on our socials at madhousepod on Twitter, madhouse underscore pod on Instagram and madhousehockeypod on Facebook, from my partner James Navo, I am Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
0: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the In Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast "Burn It All Down."